in 88, it was, I was working with a coworker at Harvard, and I said, you know, wanting to know and learn everything about sex, I said, you know what, I've always fantasized about being an escort. And she said, my sister works as one. Here's your number. So I called her up, and like, Two nights later or something, <laughs> you know, I talked it and I go and all of a sudden I start flat backing for fun and profit. <laughs> flat backing. I love that term. Flat for fun and profit. I think that might That's be my funny. book. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I can kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Hey everybody out there in the podcast universe People who I know are out there Because I receive emails from some of you And I see some of you on Twitter Very cool. It's amazing, this world we live in that didn't even exist a decade ago where you could walk around with this tiny little recorder, record people, record their thoughts, record your own thoughts, send them up there, flip it up on some cloud somewhere that isn't even a real cloud. Even though clouds themselves have no substance, this has even less. And next thing you know, you're getting tweets and emails from people who say, That the bullshit that you and your friends are slinging onto the internet is affecting their lives in positive ways. That is pretty cool. As hopeless as I sometimes get. I mean, after all, I'm working on a book called Civilized to Death, so you can figure out where I'm coming from. But as hopeless as I sometimes get about where this whole project, the human project, is going, uh, I'm really happy to be here with you, even if we're... You know, we're on the Niagara River heading for the falls. It's it's good to know there are so many really cool people in the same damn predicament. So at least we have that. Uh, this week's episode is, or this fortnight's episode, since I'm trying to keep the podcasting thing to a bi-monthly rhythm uh, while I work on this book because I got to be honest with you, the podcasting is so much damn fun that if I could make a living at this, I'd probably abandon (laughs) book writing altogether. I really like hanging out with people and and picking their brains a little bit. And uh, yeah, I just... I should have a talk show or something. I should have one of those late night talk shows. I want to be the next George Strombolopoulos. Is that how you say his name? Strombo, Strombo, Strombo. Yeah, Strombo. He's got a show on CNN anyway. Check it out. He's cool. I was, he's a, we have a mutual friend. Um, I like George a lot. I like the way he does interviews. Anyway, uh, what's going on here? I'm just back in Vancouver from a quick visit to Los Angeles, which was frenzied and wonderful. Four or five days I was down there. I met with, uh, I did Thaddeus Russell's uh, show on Reason TV, which I guess is like libertarian TV. And then he and I, right after I was interviewed for his video thing, which uh, I don't know when that's going up, but I'll tweet about it when it goes up. Um, Then he sat down for my podcast. That'll be uh, coming out 
once we work through the the backlog here that I've I've got a um, couple months probably. He's a super interesting guy. He wrote a book called uh, "Renegade History of the United States." It's all it's sort of the the history of the United States told from the perspective of the riffraff, the lowlifes, the the blacks, the hookers, the Irish, the people who proper society disdained. And his thesis is that every damn thing you find interesting and enjoyable about American culture, all these things that we now revere like jazz and various uh, strains of art, visual art, and you know all sorts of dance and all sorts of things that people celebrate about American culture, every damn one of them came from the riffraff, the lowlifes, the, as, as Thaddeus says, the niggers and the white niggers. He, he's very uh, adamant about using that word unapologetically. So in his honor, I'll just throw a couple out there. Um, the, uh, anyway, so that was really, uh, interesting to hang out with him, get to know him a little bit. And then I, um, recorded another podcast with an amazing guy, Rod Gorney. He's 89 years old. He's a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst as well. Um, you know, and, and he himself is just an incredibly interesting guy. He's, he's written books. He's, you know, had a very full and interesting life that started with his birth. His father was a very famous lyricist who wrote a song called Brother, Can You Spare a Dime, which is sort of the anthem of the Depression era. And his stepfather, uh, who later you know married his mother when the... It's a complicated story, which he explains in, in quite moving detail in our interview. Um, his stepfather wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow, so that's where he's coming from. Really interesting guy. So we we sat for 90 minutes in his office recording, uh, and we only got up to 1945, 46, when he was in medical school. So he's agreed to um, sit down for a part two, uh, which uh, I'm really looking forward to tracing, talking about his life uh, since medical school. So that that was fantastic. Then I, I hung out with my buddy Chris James at the Soho House in L.A., which was, you know, sort of a prototypical uh uh, or I guess the word is quintessential Los Angeles experience. You know, you're up there. It's this beautiful, exclusive club. There are all these, you know, movie stars or movie star wannabes sitting at their laptops, working on their screenplays and, you know, pretending they're not checking out who else is in the room and, you know, yada, 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 all that stuff. No photography allowed, very exclusive and cool. And so we sat up there and had some turkey, turkey bacon and looked out at the view and talked about his recent project, which is doing a film about um, a nonprofit in Florida that uh, works um, with dolphins in a therapeutic context, uh, helping uh, kids with learning disorders and um, uh, autism and all sorts of uh, primarily medical, uh, mental health issues, and also with um, returning veterans um, who uh, work with the dolphins on both PTSD and and psychological stuff, but also um, on physical, physiological um, recovery. Super fascinating stuff. So I'm thinking, take my little Zoom recorder down to Florida 
really just as an excuse to hang out with these dolphins because I've never had a chance to spend time with dolphins and he's become very close to the director. And so I'm thinking, uh, go down there and see if I can put together a, a story that would be uh, worthy of this American life or because I've got some friends at NPR so I could get it to them. If I can put it together, I can, you know, someone will hear it over there or at least, uh, you know, see the pitch. So I think uh, I might do that because I, I don't want to just go and hang out and take advantage of their their kindness to let me see what's happening. I'd like to give them something back. So at the very least, it'll be an interesting podcast episode or two. But uh, I hope to, uh, you know, to push it up to to another level. Somebody's got a, an even bigger audience. So that's a possibility. Anyway, after seeing Chris, then I went to interview Jamie Ian Swiss, who's one of the world's best-known magicians, a really outstanding magician. And then he was kind enough to take me and a bunch of friends on a VIP tour of the Magic Castle in Hollywood, including Duncan Trussell. He came along for the ride. That was really interesting. I'm sure Duncan will be talking about that in his uh his next podcast so make sure you check out the duncan trussell family hour he's great you can just google that or you can find it at feralaudio.com um okay so what else is going on uh cassie and i are thinking we're kind of tired of the nomadic life we've been living we've been sort of shuttling between vancouver and la and uh, we're thinking it's time to, to set up shop somewhere and get some stability. And for professional and family reasons, it doesn't make sense to go back to Europe right now. So we're probably, we're looking at somewhere on the West coast. We were thinking Vancouver, but the immigration residency situation is more complicated now than it was a year ago. I think I've mentioned that previously that, you know, last year we were both on the list of desired professions that they were welcoming into Canada. Now the new list is out and we're both off it. I don't know. Maybe they saw us coming. I'm not sure. But anyway, now uh, plan B is Portland. So I think Portland, Oregon may be where we're going to set up shop starting November, probably November, December, something like that. So if anyone listening uh, knows people in Portland or happens to have a funky, cool apartment that they'd like to rent to, um, you know, relatively trustworthy professionals with no kids, that would be us. We'll pay the rent. No crazy parties. We won't bother the neighbors. We won't, you know, fuck up the furniture or the floors. We're pretty trustworthy for better or worse in that respect. Um, Yeah, so Portland. Great coffee, great food. A lot cheaper than L.A. or Vancouver, that's for damn sure. Clean air, clean water. Those are the main things we're looking at, looking for. So, um, yeah, any leads to Portland, let me know. I'm uh, Chris Ryan PhD on Twitter, chrisryanphd.com, Chris Ryan PhD on Instagram. By the way, the whole PhD thing, you know, that's not to like, I'm not trying to do uh, Reza Aslan thing like, hey, I've got a PhD. It's, I, I put Chris Ryan, it was taken, Christopher Ryan was taken, but I don't know. People give me shit about that sometimes. If it makes you feel better, my PhD is from a third rate university. Okay, so I don't have any Harvard stickers on my car. That's for sure. Um, 
Yeah, it was just a way, you know, I got a common name and Christopher Patrick Ryan was taken, you know, whatever. So, uh, and now it's too late to change. By the time I realized it seemed kind of like, uh, kind of like a dickhead thing to have your PhD in your Twitter handle, I already had like 6,000 followers and then I was like, oh shit. And I checked and they, you can't just like switch it over to a new name and everyone just suddenly is following the new name. Can't do it. So I'd have to start all over and uh doesn't seem worth it. So sorry. I guess maybe, maybe I am sort of a dickhead. I don't know. You know, you got to be to get a PhD, I guess. It's part of the requirements. Um, I just want to shout out to William Malloy, Don Barrett, and Brooke. I uh, got every week I get just beautiful emails. Cassie and I get these emails from people who have read our book telling us, you know, how it's um, what sort of effects very concrete effects, by the way, that it's had in people's lives. Um, you know, in, in fact, funny, I mentioned Thaddeus Russell earlier, uh, the historian. Uh, we sat down, as I said, to record a podcast, and I, I said, okay, so let's talk about, uh, you know, prostitutes in colonial America or something. And he said, well, well, before we get to that, I just want to say, and I don't want to ruin the, I'm, you know, I don't want to ruin the, sto- the story. You'll hear it in a in a couple months when I put out the podcast. But anyway, he said, I just want to say, I read your book when it came out in 2010 and, um, you know, it, it, it made me think about things that I hadn't thought about for a while. And it, it brought back some memories of women that I had been with, uh, you know, in earlier times and which led me to look one of them up on Facebook. And uh, we sort of got back in touch and she, then she sent me some pictures and, which my wife found and precipitated my divorce. <laughs> so there you go. Now, I, <laughs> I don't know whether that was blame or credit, but you know, either way it had a concrete effect on his life. Um, and we get emails uh, every week of people talking about stuff like that. Uh, generally it's really positive stuff. I got an email um, just today from uh, a woman talking about how, she hadn't, she'd been married for, I think she, she was like in her late thirties and she said she'd been married like 13 years or something. So like since she was a teenager, she'd been married to this guy and she, you know, she loved him and she loves him now. Um, but the, the sex had never really clicked for her. And so she thought there was something wrong with her or with him or their marriage or whatever. So she just recently picked up our book somewhere and, and read it and she described the changes that they'd made in their relationship that um, led them to rediscover each other or actually to discover each other after 13 years of marriage. And um, essentially, you know, what, what she said was that I thought there was something wrong with me and the way you frame things in the book made me think it's, there's nothing wrong with me. It's the institution. It's the society that that's pathological. And it's my interaction with those forces that has put me in this problem in this situation. And so once I saw that the, the problem was located there in the relationship, not in me, it's not a sickness or an inadequacy in me. Then I was able to find ways of of managing the situation in a completely different, um, you know, a completely different framework. And and it's really working for her and her husband. So I love it. I love it when we get emails like that. It's just incredible to see 
that something you wrote sitting alone in a room five years ago is touching people's lives in the most intimate, immediate, powerful ways. It's incredibly gratifying. I can die a happy man as we go over those falls. Okay. Thank you to feralaudio.com and Dustin, who took some time. Uh, Dustin Marshall, who runs the show over there. He, uh, my last podcast was very quiet and he made a video and sent it to me saying, okay, here's what you do. You know, all these little tricks of the professionals in garage band to make sure that it's, uh, it's not so quiet and people can hear it on their car speakers and so on. And so appreciate, uh, him taking the time to do that. Check out the other podcasts at feralaudio.com. As I said, you can find Duncan Trussell family hour there, uh, Harmontown. They've got like the best stable of podcasts anywhere that you're going to find in one place. Fantastic stuff there. And as always, the great Carsey Blanton, who plays us in with a little bit of smoke alarm and then plays us out with the full song. Check out CarseyBlanton.com, C-A-R-S-I-E, Blanton, B-L-A-N-T-O-N.com. And of course, if you want to know more about Carsey, uh, I did an interview with her, which was really wonderful. Look in the archives of, of this podcast. You'll see it. She plays a couple tunes for us live, talks about her life, her really interesting father, who uh, is a psychologist who never lies and ran for Congress. <laughs> anyway, you'll hear all that if you check out the Carsey Blanton episode. Uh, she's raising money right now. She's doing a Kickstarter for to finance her next album. She's already broken through the first goal, and now she's going, I think they're called stretch goals. Sounds like yoga, but she's stretching for other goals to pay for publicity and all that. She's a really talented musician, a uh, singer, songwriter, and um, you know she's plugged into some some pretty interesting stuff. I think she opened for... Paul Simon, if I'm not, for, if I'm not misremembering it on a tour and she's, so she's, she's very cool And her. If you go to her website, it's all like, you know, download whatever you want, pay whatever you can. So she's a pretty, pretty funky young lady there, that Carsey Blanton. Okay. I've said enough, uh, t-shirts, Sexodon t-shirts and, uh, you know, my latest, um, whatever. If you're not on Twitter, you can see my tweets on my website. You can get the t-shirts. You can read my blog. You can, uh, you know, whatever, find out what I'm up to pretty much at uh, Chris Ryan PhD. There's that damn PhD again, dot com. Hope you enjoy this episode. Kim Ayers, very interesting woman. Uh, I won't do much of an intro here because she introduces herself quite effectively She's an intellectual, she's a sex toy entrepreneur, she's um, a a sex-positive activist, and she's a motorcycle maven. She looks pretty good in a leather jacket. Let me just put it that way. All right. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Ciao. Passam pássaros e aviões E no chão os caminhões Passam tempo as estações Passam andorinhas e verões Passem em casa Tô te esperando, tô te esperando Passem 
Hey, do you know what 60 Minutes and a Jewish Grandmother have in common? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. All right, let's see. Here's my Jewish, uh, Jewish mother joke. Uh, okay, Jewish mother gives her son uh, two ties for, for his birthday, a red one and a blue one. So next time he sees his mother, the guy makes sure he wears one of the ties. He wears, puts on the blue one. Mother sees him and says, what's the matter? You don't like the red one? <laughs> yeah. Can't win. Can't win. With a similar <laughs> word in common. We could keep doing this, which I love to do. One time this guy, and this is kind of like along the sex thing. He has a Thai girlfriend, and every time they have sex afterwards, she strokes his penis for about an hour. So he thinks that's kind of odd. And so he says to her, he goes, honey, how come after we have sex, you stroke my penis for an hour? And she looks at him and says, because I really miss mine. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't have any Thai, Thai lady boy, former lady boy jokes. Although, do you know, well, we should introduce you before we get further into the Thai lady boys, but let's go back there because there's, do you know that one of the, the world champion Thai kickboxers, uh, was a lady boy, was a. Really? All right, let's use the technically. So I believe he was pre-op. So I think he was physically intact, but he uh, his gender identity was female when he wasn't in the ring. Or she, I guess, wasn't in the ring. But world champion, Thai so she, kickboxer. And she could still scratch her eyes out like nobody's business, <laughs> Kick huh? your ass. She yeah, was Lady Tiger. Ass. Exactly. <laughs> But then, you know, out of the ring, back into the women's clothing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty That's gender. Thailand is fucking it. great. Yeah. Thailand's yeah. really. I remember we were last time I was in Thailand, I was looking at some, you know, local English language newspaper. And in the listings of like things that were happening in Bangkok that week was uh, transvestite. No, is elephant polo. And one of the teams that was that had made it to the semifinals mm-hmm. was an all transvestite elephant polo team. I don't think the elephants were transvestites. I think it was the riders. I've heard of a lot of fetishes. I think that's a new one. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't even know if that's a fetish or just a really good team. Just a good team. <laughs> I guess yeah. it is a really. I mean, good we were. Team. I think it was an earlier trip. We were in or on. I should say Koh Phangan, which is. Near Kosamui. Have you been to Thailand? Uh, not yet. Oh, okay. Well, there are these three islands, and we were in one of them, and we were uh, hanging out. And there was a volleyball competition going on, and we showed up, and they, they were really into it. And there were some tourist teams, and mixed teams, and Thai teams, and everybody playing on the beach. And the champion team were transvestites, all of them. They were all. Physically, men, but they were wearing you know bikinis, fabulous, and they were just really good. That's yeah, it. only yeah. in Thailand. Only huh? in Thailand, and it wasn't like a thing, you know. No, it wasn't it's weird or whatever. And, yeah, you know, just I think pretty cool. And then the other thing that's really interesting about Thailand in terms of sexuality is that any serious marijuana grower will tell you that the reason uh, Thai marijuana is not popular with commercial growers is that it's the most, of all the different strains of marijuana, Thai is the most likely to go hermaphrodite. 
And, I, and I knew that there harvest. had to be a tie-in tie uh, for that. Tie-in. That's it. Ooh, oh, okay. Yeah. And all this started with the Jewish mother Oish. giving ties. That's it. Um, okay, we're here with Kim Ayers. You are. So let me... Who the hell is Kim Ayers? Here's how I met Kim Ayers. I, Cassie and I went to a sexologist lunch in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And do you need to get that? No. No? Okay. We can pause whenever you want. Uh, we went to to speak at this or, or just sort of say hello at this uh, sexologist lunch in Beverly Hills. And you were there and luckily sitting near us so we could chat. And uh, yeah, you're, you invited me to go riding on motorcycles, which is one of the best things, best offers I, I've ever received is when someone says, hey, I've got an extra motorcycle. Let's go for a ride. Unfortunately, I couldn't take you up on it because of, of busyness in life, but um, someday, someday. I'll always have more than one bike. That's so, great. I yeah. mean, to have, to have a motorcycle is cool. I, as you know, I've, I had a motorcycle for 10, 15 years or something, um, but to have two, that's special. It is special, and it's I like having two because, first of all, I have a lot of friends who ride. I'm from the East Coast, so... I invite them in the winter to come here to L.A. to ride. And I'll tell you, if it was the other way around and I was stuck on the East Coast and a friend offered a bike to ride on the West Coast in L.A., near Malibu, near canyons, near the ocean, I would be there so fast. So my friends are really grateful. And then I show them the rides. And I lived in Boston 26 years. I show them the rides here. They're like, I really get why you moved out here. And right. it's like, yeah, well, that's why. Yeah, and you can because, ride all year. And I can ride all year, which I do. It's so funny because people that live around here that ride, they're like, you ride in the winter? Oh, it's cold. <laughs> and I look at them, like, yeah, and stuff. You just wear a wetsuit. Just, it's no problem there, folks. <laughs> it's so funny. I'll ride to, I mean, I've ridden in snow, so if yeah. you can ride in snow, I mean, that's 32 yeah. degrees or under. I've and, done some crazy shit on the motorcycle. I, I remember when... When I fell in love with Cassie and we had a long distance thing for a while between Lisbon where she lived and Barcelona where I lived and flying back and forth. And then when I finally said, okay, fuck it, I'm moving. I decided I would ride my motorcycle to Lisbon, then fly back, load up a van and uh, drive the van with my stuff. So I took off and I remember the day I was leaving, I had lunch with friends and there were these purple storm clouds coming in. Ooh. And my friends kept saying, are you sure you want to go today? Because that's like a you know, four-day drive or something. It's <laughs> right. a long trip. And I was just determined. Like, I was going. I'm going. And, you, and you know, when you're, it's a big thing like that. It's hard at the last minute to say, oh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll go tomorrow, you know? No, I was going. So I left. And by the time I got to Zaragoza, which is about, I don't know, two, three hours outside of Barcelona, I was in I was in a torrential Monster. downpour. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like the water was up my sleeves, in my boots. You know, every bit of my body was wet except inside my helmet, which but I just was like, fuck it. I'm just going. I'm, I'm going. It. I'm going. And I was just going through this thing. And then finally, I I was getting blown into other lanes. You That's know? not fun. No. Yeah. No. And but, um... yeah, so I stopped and, and it just kept raining. And finally, I just found a garage 
talked to the guy, said, I'll be back in a couple months. Can I just leave my bike Yeah, here right. For- That'll do it. You kind of feel like a wuss, though, when you hand it in. And, you but, know, man, I took it to the end. Like, my just, life was in serious exactly. danger. And that's always a difficult time, a difficult point to get to. Because you're like, no, yeah. I can get through this. I can get through it. But I'll tell you, I can ride in any condition. Wind. Wind. And I was on a BMW. I was so on a heavy a bike. bike yeah. right, exactly. But and I had a backpack on, so oh, my you know another, center of gravity right. was high, yeah, and it was just it was stupid. I mean, like come well, on, you know why know. risk your life? Yeah, that's it. You know, it's funny because I was just with somebody, and she said uh, something like, "Oh." you live dangerously or something. And I'm like, no, actually I live carefully. And yeah. I use this anal- analogy when I do sex workshops at right. colleges and things. Okay. This is a good one. Why is it when a health teacher or a sex educator or something, a lot of times they'll say, Oh, to cut down on the risk of an STI sexually transmitted infection or STD, which I mean, they're calling STIs at this point. Why do they tell you in order to cut down on those, have fewer sex partners? Right. Yet they will never say, in order to decrease your risk of dying in an automobile accident, drive less. They'll never tell you that. Right. They tell so you that whole up and right. Get the so they bags. right. They never say, okay, if you're going to have multiple sex partners, go for it and be safe with them all the time. Right. You know, and I bring that up to especially college age kids, and they kind of look like. Yeah. Why don't they say that? You know, it's just really funny. So it's like, no, I'm safe when I do anything that might be. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of my life philosophy as well. I like to do dangerous things safely. Yeah. You know, whether it be uh, paragliding or uh, although I did paragliding off a mountain in Goa, India Mm. with a German guy. Yeah. Was it good for you? It was pretty amazing. It was, really. It was, I have to say. But it was also, you know, it's one of those things. I I was talking with a friend about this last night. Uh, We were talking about having kids and all that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I'm glad I did it because it was a really amazing experience. Uh, But if I had a kid who did that, (laughs) I would be so pissed off. You did what? You did what? You jumped you know, off you a could, fucking could, mountain in you India? Could, you, you, you know, know you like, could kill yourself. Yeah, well, and what happened was I jumped off this mountain for the first flight, and I, I went sailing out over the Indian Ocean, right? Was it tandem? Like no, was, that was the oh. thing. It was just me, Oh, you know, with this German guy who had, like, given me, you know, some pointers how to do it and this and that. Uwe. Hi, Uwe, if you're out there. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was me and this this big Scottish dude uh, took the class, and it was like a hundred bucks for ten flights and like one day of theory and all that, you know, which would cost you a thousand bucks or something. Exactly here, um, you know, and you'd have to like do all this licensing and blah blah blah. There it was just like, yeah, give Uwe a hundred bucks and you know, we'll, and buy him a beer and off you go. So we so we did the. I remember the first morning we like read this little book he had and talked about different types of clouds and things you have to watch. And there are like clouds that'll suck you up into the cloud and like your body won't be found for weeks, you know, and it'll be frozen solid. And there's some nasty shit up in the sky. Which yeah, well, I that's how we about. don't go up there. 
Yeah. So anyway, so so I, so I'm thinking like, you know what? I'm never gonna do this if there are any like. Ser- I'm not going in clouds. You know what are you no, talking but I'll about? No, through purple ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Spoke too soon. There's gravity there. Yeah. <laughs> and on my side. <laughs> so anyway, so it was me and this big Scottish dude. And finally, we then we spent the afternoon like on the beach, learning how to manipulate the the parachutes, and you know, because when you're when you're getting sucked up into a cloud, what you have to do is you collapse the chute. Oh, great! Intentionally, so you'll like fall out of it, and then you let it open again and hope it opens again. <laughs> In between, saying, "Oh shit! Yeah. Now what do I do?" Yeah, yeah. So we so we're up on the we climb up this mountain. We like hike up the mountain, right? And the mountains jutting out over the Indian Ocean, maybe, I don't know, five, I don't know, I, I, I can't judge, a thousand feet or something. It, it took like two hours to walk up this mountain. To right? get you really good and tired. Exactly. So you and can sweaty. focus on yeah. your jump. Oh, man. So we get up there and Uvi says, okay, who, who wants to go first? And the Scottish guy and I look at each other and he says, I'll go. I go oh, good. Thank God. So he's going to go first. So... You know, you just like you're you stand there and you're you back up maybe 20 feet from the edge of the cliff and you just the you put the chute and then the chute opens and you run, 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 and you just run right off the edge of the cliff. Right. Uh And so he did. And he had we he gave us these little earpieces. Right. And so the guy's going out over the ocean and then Uwe tells him, "Okay, now turn left and you turn left and you sort of circle back. And there's this valley with like a. Like a, a a river, a stream, river, and then like a sort of a lake right before the beach. Then the beach separated the lake from the ocean. So then you circle back into the valley, and you're coming down the whole time, and you're gliding down. And then Uve says, "Okay, turn back in." And then okay, no circle over. And then you sort of turn so you go uh, along the beach, not across the beach. Because right. if you land in water, so, you're fucked. Because you're all strapped right in. Exactly. And, yeah. So anyway, everything went fine. The guy landed perfect. He waved up at us. Everything was oh, great. Oh, so you waited for him to be done. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because oh. Uwe could only talk one of us right. through it at a time. So then it's my turn. I run, I run, I jump. Boom, I get I get up in the harness and I'm like, wow, I'm floating over the ocean. And you hear all the air rushing through the lines and everything. And it's like, holy shit, I'm fucking floating over the ocean. This is amazing. And from a very, very faintly, I hear this screaming. Somebody screaming. Mm. And I turn and look, and Uwe is jumping up and down, screaming, waving his arms at me. And I realize the earpiece is falling out of my ear. Uh, and it's like hanging way down. Oh no. And I can't let go and grab it. And like, ah, I'm on my own. Oh my God. Uh. So luckily, I, you know, I had already seen the other the flight guy. Path. But my flight path was different because I was lighter, right? So he was, the, the weight determines sure. and the size of the chute and all this determines how right. fast you're going down. So I had to wing it, so to speak, and luckily I worked it all out and I, I ended up coming in for a landing uh, at the right place, at the, you know, at the right height and everything. And just as I was coming down to the beach, you know, literally thinking I could die, right? You know, any minute right. now I could die. I'm coming down to the beach full of relief and this horrible Indian dog with frothing mouth comes <laughs> and I'm like landing right into its jaws you know 
<laughs> but luckily, so you quickly cross your legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to kick this dog as I'm trying not to break my legs. And oh my god! Anyway, the dog took off right at the last minute, and and then I turned and collapsed the chute, and because otherwise the chute will drag you across the beach, and you right. got to do all this stuff. And my knees were shaking. I was, um, you know, I was just so grateful to be alive. And within seconds, there was an Indian guy there trying to sell me a juice and you know, water. I'm like, no, dude, no, trust me. That's it. No, I just saw God. Yeah, exactly. You don't understand. Would you do that again? Um, yeah, yeah. If you know, it's like a situation with you and the motorcycles. If I had a friend I trusted who was good at it, who had equipment. And was like, hey, let's go do it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd do it again. It it was because it's one of those things that if you do it, and then I did another nine flights with Uve. It was part of it, it was a package deal. Yeah. So I did it a a few more times. Um, Yeah, if you do it, you know, on. The, the the real danger is either you've got defective equipment, right? Which, if someone knows what they're doing, they eliminate that danger. Or you push some sort of limit weather-wise. It's too windy. Oh, right. You know, there's not enough of a breeze or the, the winds are shifting quickly or, you know, thing, and you get slammed into the side of the mountain. You just jumped off, that kind of thing. So, you know, I wouldn't take any risks and I would only do it with somebody. Oh, it, it's like drugs. You know, I've done lots of different drugs, but almost always it's with someone the first time. It's with someone who really knows what they're doing and is willing to, you know, be a guide and a protector. So it's losing your virginity in many, many ways. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. You want to trust the person you're doing it with. Yeah, exactly. yeah, for sure. And that's what, you know, it's funny because not to relate everything to sex, but it's true. You always remember the first person that you experienced something with. Right. You know, like that. You right. remember him and how many years ago was that? Or yeah. who you did this drug that I tried? Ooh, or the ooh, first pop my chair. person I know. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but you're right. It's definitely the same dynamic. You want to, so you're going somewhere new. You want to trust who you're going with. So I would not, you know, have two virgins together. That's or seventy two of them for that matter. Because <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do with that, huh? Oh, man, what a that you know yeah. that to me that's hell. I, the, that's... They call it heaven. I call it hell. Yeah. You know, yeah, give me like they, three hot, experienced women absolutely. and keep your fucking virgin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's a, so anyway, you are, are you a sexologist officially? I know you're a sex toy expert and distributor and. Yeah, I consider myself a sexuality specialist because I okay. don't need a degree after that. Right. And Do sexologists I've, have degrees? Yeah, a lot do of I, them do I mean, from the institute. To be stuff. a sexologist, you to have to be, have a degree? To call yourself one, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that's kind of, it, it, it's kind of a loose term that a lot of people. That's what I thought. And, and like also therapist. Yeah, like, like there's some people yeah. that say I'm a sex therapist. And people call me that and I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I said, I know what I'm doing. And a lot of times it feels like that's what I'm doing. Right. But I'm not a sex therapist. So right. I make that really clear with right. people. So what my background is, Kim Ayers here. Uh, is that I basically, I lived in Boston from 1980 to 80, to 2006, and I'd always been drawn to live there. And 
basically, very long story short, I opened up the first sex toy store in Boston. The first store? That was like geared for women. Right. It was really comfortable. That's when you were at Harvard. I worked at Harvard, yeah, for five years before that. uh, What's his name? The the really arrogant guy. Larry Summers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever talk sex toys with Larry Summers? No, but I have with many other people at Harvard, let me tell you, (laughs) who shall be unnamed. But yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, that's the thing is that, you know, I started, well, basically I was married seven and a half years. It was fun while it lasted. It just really, it was, you know, I've always been fascinated like crazy about sex. And your husband was uncomfortable Pretty with normal, your, your regular, sexual yeah, yeah. Well, so, your orientation towards sexuality. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. like I don't believe in monogamy. I don't I think that's a, an opinion we probably both perhaps share. Do you? Well, like I, I don't use the thing? word belief because then it, it shifts into a, well, a religious I mean I, I, I heard someone people, say recently I don't believe anything that demands belief. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. Um, but no, I I think for me, monogamy, uh, what I don't believe in is the blanket assumption uh, and insistence that monogamy comes naturally to our species. I think, you know, I, I from my perspective, we pretty clearly demonstrated in right. Sex at Dawn that that's not true. But I do believe that there are so many other uh, factors that have to be taken into consideration that I certainly think um, for one of them is that I think each of us exists on a scale, a bell curve, if you will, um, that we move across oh, yeah, during sure. our lives. And uh, for, you know, on one end, monogamy is absolutely easy and necessary. And on the other end, it's impossible and unnecessary. So I think, you know, I think for some people, uh, monogamy makes sense. It, it totally. And that's what I tell people. I said, if it works for you and you're happy, and you're, then go, go for great. it. That's just great. Just understand it's not yeah. something that comes naturally. Right. It's not going to be easy. And right. there will be challenges. That, that's that's all. it. Yeah. And one time I was kind of, I don't want to say grousing, but I was just commenting to my brother. And my family knows all my proclivities and everything <laughs> I've done and everything, which is, oh, makes things God. so much easier. Let me tell you. you've done. That's yeah. Terrible. Oh, yeah. I've done. Well, to step back a little bit. No, I'll tell my brother's story. So I told my brother, I said, you know, it would be really nice to have a partner. You know, like a primary partner, you know, and stuff. And he goes, well, maybe you should become monogamous. I said, (laughs) I would rather die. I can't do it. I looked at him. I said, I can't do it. It's not there. But yeah, the things that I've done, I mean, this is the whole thing is my fascination with sex is I want to try, you know, people, oh, what kind of sexuality? I'm "I'm trisexual. I'll try anything sexual, (laughs) which it's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. So actually when I was working at Harvard, one of my coworkers, you know, I was, t- well, anyway, I was married, we separated, I met this Swedish guy, he was totally cool, and then after that, he, like, moved to do a postdoc somewhere, right. um, and then uh, I met this guy called him the Smut Hound. The Smut Hound, the Smut DJ, Hound, yeah. The DJ, it was just See, I like, Googled you. Thanks, it's I've, true. It's true. I did my research. True. I Googled you. Yeah. And yeah, totally like, oh my God, I love this stuff. So I started just like... Can I ask, swerving. where did you meet the Smut Hound? 
um, his birthday was the day before mine, uh-huh. or is the day before mine, and he was on the air, and he said, oh, it's my birthday today, and I thought, oh, that's cool, tomorrow's my birthday. So I called up the radio station and said, hey, you want to go meet for a drink? So we did that. No shit. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I love that takes. kind of initiative. Yeah. I mean, that's, you have to. Yeah. I mean, I'm a real firm believer in stuff like that. Yeah. And then, and we hit it off, and then the whole sex thing became very obvious very quickly, and not, and it's funny, I was going to kind of catch myself not in like a perverted way right. not like a creepy way right. like I felt really comfortable with this and thinking I love this stuff right. and I just wanted to consume more so it was right when Susie Bright started writing ah. and On Our Backs magazine was out a mutual is, friend right you know Susie oh yeah yeah, yeah for sure yeah. so it's the uh, On Our Backs which sadly is no longer in print it's uh, I think it was called Erotica for the Adventurous Lesbian or something like that right. are you familiar that, on our backs, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It was great. I mean, it was really, um, really sex positive. The imagery of women—they were lesbians. They weren't fake lesbians. There right. were butch girls. In it. There was the whole range, and that the imagery to me is fantastic. And every, you know, I mean, it goes beyond imagery. But anyway, so I have lesbian friends that had that magazine, and so I was visiting them in New York. I'm like, oh my god, I love this stuff. I thought maybe I could write for them. Hmm. So it was pre-internet. So I sent them a loan. They said, sure. So I started writing for them. And I used the pen name Kimberlaine Poubelle, which if anybody knows French, Poubelle means trash in oh, French. It's such a beautiful it word. Sounds nice. Trash. Yeah. Kimberlaine Poubelle. So one of the things was my collection with Polaroids with porno stars. One was about getting pierced. Whatever. Um, one was about getting pierced down there, uh, which was 1991. 21 years. 22 years. Do you know whose father was on the cover of a genital piercing magazine and was apparently like one of the early... Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, there's Jim Ward from Gauntlet, but I think... but he's Carl Rove. Carl Rove's... Stepfather. Oh, stepfather. Right. Carl Rove's father apparently left when he was oh, okay. born or a little kid. And he grew up with... This guy who married Rove's mother, who apparently it was, he was a friendly, nice guy. He wasn't like a horrible, do, abusive do stuff. Do remember the name of I don't remember his name. But I, anyone can Google it. Carl Rove's father, genital piercing. And really? You'll, you'll and find is it. Is he, what, New York, San Francisco? Because that was like the hotbed. I think that, it was like Texas. Or Peoria maybe or Texas. Austin or somewhere know, like that. that you know, or Phoenix. Or, yeah. You know, of course. So. Yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry I interrupted yeah, no, no, no. you, but no, genital but, I mean, piercing, that's a whole that's thing. Genital piercing used to to be like whoa you know and still is it's well to me yeah but it's more popular now that's pretty popular it's like the whole piercing thing so so what it was was back in oh probably 89 when i was looking at on our backs this fabulous wonderful one of the pioneers in piercing of lesbian rayland galena ray r-a-e-l-y-n g a-L-L-I-N-A. And the only reason why I say that, she's got a dot com. And uh-huh. that's she's an f- incredible person. But anyway, she is uh, a big mo- body modification person. Right. So she was doing this a while. She apprenticed with Fakir, who's well, the like credited with being the big guy for genital piercings and stuff. So anyway, so I had seen this image of a pierced clit hood. And I'm like, oh, my God. I want that. It's speaking to me. So anyway, she ended up, she did piercing tours. 
but not so much in stores, you know, because this was early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. So she said, I'm going to be in Boston with this group. um, It's and it's going to be all women's play party. So I'm thinking that sounds good. So I got in touch with the woman who was organizing it. And it was a women's SM party Mm. with piercing. So this was again, this was. I think like November of 91 or something like that. So I got invited to go there and it was like, oh my God, this feels like home to me. And I didn't know any of these women, you know, most of them lesbian identified, no men and stuff. And it was just kind of like another, oh my God, this is another place of home, you know? And like I said, that was 91. But what happened before that, which was pretty significant, was in 88, it was... I was working with a coworker at Harvard and I said, you know, wanting to know and learn everything about sex. I said, you know what? I've always fantasized about being an escort. And she said, my sister works as one. Here's your number. So I called her up and like two nights later or something, <laughs> you know, I talked it and I go and all of a sudden I start flat backing for fun and profit. <laughs> flat backing. I love that term. Flat for fun and profit. I think that might That's be my funny. book. That's so funny. it was, and you know, and they always tell you this and this is like one of the rules is that one of your first clients is always going to be somebody associated with the agency because uh, they want to see how you behave. Quality control. Quality control. Totally. So That's she actually, right. I know. <laughs> No, that's true. Well, yeah, and no, I went to work at a at a second agency because Uh the first one. What happens a lot is these people spin off because they're like, "Well, this is easy. I just answer phones and I get girls to go there." Right. But a lot of it is just repeat clients. So if you're a new company, doesn't happen so much. And this is again before the internet and everything, which I'm sure has been a big game changer in that department. But. So, like, I was, you know, I was all dressed up and no place to go. I'm like, you know, I did this to kind of do this, and I'm here home. So the gal who turned me on to it, or turned me out, as the phrase is, she said, you know what, you might want to try calling this other agency where that guy had come from, and, you know, tell him, don't tell him that you worked for him, but that, you know, you want to be doing this. So the guy who founded that agency, he actually had priapism. Oh, like his penis never got soft. Exactly. Is that what it is? Yeah. So he'd test, you know, eight girls out in a night. Oh, really? Yeah. And I didn't know this till afterwards. It's like he actually had that condition, priapism, which is an erection that right. doesn't go it down. Just, it's like, yeah, which ever. people think, oh, that's really great, but actually it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, that's pretty damn handy, huh? So anyway, so the first one, I. You know, for the first night or first trick or whatever, he, um, it was in a hotel and, you know, I got the room, whatever, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and stuff. And then it's like time to leave. And I'm thinking, well, that's a waste of a good hotel room. <laughs> right. I could sleep here and use the, the soap and yeah. shampoo. And, you know, but it was like, no, I guess that's not part of the game and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had read a couple of significant books, which was Working by Dolores French and The Mayflower Madam. Sydney oh, Biddle's Barrow, right. who said, oh, I've never been a prostitute. <laughs> you read that book and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Yeah. Neither have I. Right. So it's basically like a how-to. And it was so good. Like even, okay, all right. And this is actually a really good skill for anybody. You don't have to be a hooker or a prostitute or anything to do this. But if you're going on a blind date, let's say, right, right and you knock on the door, take two steps back. Because what happens is they see your whole image. They don't just see your face and are startled by your face right away. But when you step back, they see your whole 
your whole body and your whole. Mm. So it's a lot less startling for the client. I mean, the boyfriend or the, you know, whatever like this <laughs> to see that part. And I thought that's a really good tip. So I do that when I knock on somebody's door, I step back a couple feet right. and then I ask them for $150 and we're all good. <laughs> so I was wondering why you asked me for money. I know. I, I, I know. I'm like, you. I've got, this is the right. Yes, it is. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So yeah. So just all stuff like that. So what happened now, this was all during while I was working at Harvard. Mm. So it was one night a week and, you know, sometimes three calls, sometimes none, you know, that type of thing. And it was fascinating. Now, getting back to DJ Smuthound, he was like my boyfriend the whole time. He didn't know I was turning tricks oh, boy. because he was on evening, uh, you know, ev- not evening drive, but evening show. Right. So he was done at like by the time he did post stuff, it was about 1231. I was done with my job. Mm-hmm. We get together and we'd have the best sex because we had more of a connection than mm-hmm. somebody that I just saw for an hour. And you were also sort of warmed up. I was totally warmed up. Yeah. And so that was really good for both of us. Right. And so it was just really, it was really cool. And like, he didn't know till even like I did that for two years. Um, something that, and, and the story, did you feel badly about that? I felt great about it. You didn't feel I, bad about keeping that from him because no, you guys shared all. a lot. Right, we shared speaking, a lot, right? and and plus, like you know, otherwise I would have to start start charging him, and because I was giving the shit away for free at that point to him, <laughs> you lucky bastard. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, that's why you didn't feel bad. about No, it. I didn't feel bad uh-huh. about it because, and I actually there was only one person, a former boss, actually that knew I was doing this. Uh, nobody knew. Right. Nobody, nobody, nobody knew. But it's not because you felt guilty about no, it. No, it's just that, you know, I was working at Harvard and, yeah, and stuff. And I'm told, and, you know, and it's funny to fast forward a little bit. When I opened Grand Opening, my store, which is a bricks and mortar store in Boston, well, Brookline. And what's it called? Grand Opening. Oh, that's the name of the store. Get it? Oh. I know. People would oh. say, you still have your signs up. And I'm like, oh. that's the name of the store. Yeah. I think there are stores called going out of business sale, too. <laughs> right. That I think well, I it. thought yeah. it, there should be a store just called sale. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why not? And there are restaurants called Sa- food, right? Why not? You know, grand opening. There's a restaurant in Barcelona called Gulp. Gulp, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, because it's an easy name to remember. Yeah. And actually, Grand Opening, that's a whole other thing. That's the sex toy store they started in 93. Um, I wanted a name that you could say in public without feeling embarrassed about it. Right. Like it's not Pandora's Box, you know, right. or the pleasure chest, and, you know, good vibrations. Yeah, right. They're kind of like cafes. They, they, a lot of puns in there. Yeah, you know, yeah, for being sure. There, done that. Yeah, the, exactly. You know, that yeah. Shit. Yeah. So, so grand opening, yeah, that takes it to yep. a, a, another level. It's not. It does. Yeah. It does. So yeah. So that what? Um, and I do speaking about. Um, prostitution and things like that because a lot of people think you've got to be some drug addict in order to do that but it combines my two favorite favorite things sex and retail (laughs) it's like in one easy simple to use package not wholesale no no that's (laughs) it well yeah no actually okay so so with that so I grew up on top of my father's furniture store in Bayville New Jersey okay friendly furniture friendly friendly furniture furniture. was your last name friendly yeah but no but there was friendly ice cream on the east coast which still is there so everybody thought we owned it and I'm like yeah yeah we do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it was uh, there's four (laughs) kids so my brother is 10 years older than me sister four years older than me and then a younger sister 22 months younger and all the girls are in retail management now. I mean, it's just my grandfather They're was- They're all hookers? 
No. 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 I'm sorry. No. No. But they all know I've done that. Uh-huh. That's uh, everybody knows. <laughs> so they, um, so the, let's see. Um, so my grandfather on my father's side was a troubleshooter for Montgomery Wards during the Depression. Uh-huh. I mean, total retail guy. Right. To- retail, retail. So anyway. Um, so you're opening. To, well, yeah, but Harvard before that, thing. Harvard. Well, get it's the. We're talking about whether Smuthound knew. Not, yeah, I know. Out, huh? yeah. This is a, I swear I should start taking Adderall. Well, this is this is I the swear beauty of ADD, speaking. But I just haven't. Yeah. I know I haven't gotten a diagnosis because I'm afraid it. of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm afraid of that. I just diagnosis. got my my gene my DNA test back. And you're half poodle. I'm I'm two point eight percent Neanderthal. That's. <laughs> You're a man. What do you mean, poodle? What the fuck is that? Everybody's getting their dog's God DNA. German Shepherd, if anything. <laughs> Wolf. That's it. Poodle. I know. That's the new hot thing to do is I to get that your was, dog that you're DNA. You're making fun of my hair. Is that what that is? Do I have poodle hair today? <laughs> poodle. It depends on where you're looking. <laughs> one, one, one step beyond bedhead. Poodle hair. I have poodle hair. <laughs> and I know how to use it. So, yeah. So, gosh, let's get all over the place here. All right. So, Uh, you opened your your first sex toy shop in Boston. I know where we were. This Uh is a good one. Okay. So, all right. So, I opened my store in November 93. Around November 97, you know, fall at 97. You know, my company's going really well at this point. And my dad... My parents, my mom would say, how's the store going? Don't give me the details. Right. You just know, the money. Just, just the money. You know, you got a roof <laughs> over your head. You feel okay, good. So my dad, and I took all of him, he was 77 years old at the time, took all of them to just go, <sighs> he goes, Kim, I was at my doctor's and I'm having difficulty getting an erection. And this is what the doctor recommended I get. And my mom's there, I'm there, you know, like this. And he shows me a picture of a penis pump. Well, we know that doctors recommend using a penis pump and a cock ring to create basically a false sense of having an erection, blah, blah, blah. So I immediately went into educator mode. And I, and it, oh, he started with, I know you talk about very intimate things with strangers. And I wanted, I wanted to say this. And so he says this. I said, well, you know, first of all, it's no surprise that this is happening. You're 77. That's some kind right. of indication. No one is you have diabetes. So that's another one that'll impact it as well. Yeah. This is, this is normal. I said, okay, what they recommend is this penis pump. So I started going into the education of how to use a penis pump and, you know, this and make suction and you put a ring on. And I said, you know, it might make a difference and things like this. And then I put my hand over my father's shoulder and I said, and daddy, I can get it for you wholesale. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's that a was good daughter good. right yeah. there. And then like another time, like my mom did the slippery slope thing for years. It's like, it's okay. You can go to the other level. It's all right. She ended up dying February of 03. And, but before that, you know, she's like Parkinson's and just all this crap, that, mm. you know, and stuff. And so my dad admitted, he goes, you know, I really miss being intimate with your mom. You know, and I'm like sitting there thinking to myself, should I? And I thought, I, this is important. I said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, I don't know what your reaction is going to be. But while I was working at Harvard for two years, I worked as a call girl. 
And a lot of my clients were guys like you, that their wives were in nursing homes, you know, they had passed away. I said, you're still a man. This is normal. This is okay. You know, it's okay, you know, if you want to get somebody and stuff like this. And the first thing he said, I'll never forget this. He said, I will never judge my children by what they've done. And I thought that was so cool. I mean, here you're saying, hey, I worked as a whore. But it was during my Harvard. (laughs) So I was, you know, and stuff. And it was just like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And then we just kind of went on and and he, and it was kind of interesting. He's like, I couldn't just do that because he had to have an emotional connection to the person. So, so that was kind of interesting to hear all that. I thought he was going to ask you if you could arrange a hooker wholesale. Actually, kind of did. He kind of did. Yeah. Like, do you have any friends? And I'm like, well, you know, and and stuff. And then he's like, I don't know. I'm like, you know, I've got women friends that would, you know, and stuff. And he was just kind of, he never did anything like that and stuff. But, you know, it was kind of really great to kind of come out and see. You seen the sessions? Yeah, I did. Um, Did you see it? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, it was good, but it wasn't good. I mean, it's like, you don't get naked right away. Yeah. I actually. I actually do surrogacy work. Oh, really? Yeah, I do surrogacy oh, work because yeah. I think it's really important. Explain to people what, what that is, people well, who aren't familiar. It's, you know, if you're familiar with the sessions, you're like, oh, okay, I know what that is. But it, it's similar. It's very close. The only problem I had with the sessions was that the first meeting, she's like, okay, and she takes her clothes off. That any any of us who have done this or any sex therapist is like, you don't do that right away because what you do is you establish a relationship with the person right. and relation relationship. I put that in quotes as a therapist would, mm. you know? And so what it is, is that you work with this therapist on these particular issues and you are basically the conduit right. between what they recommend and what the client needs right. And actually having them get to that point. Because the therapist, both legally and ethically, can't physically get involved with patients or clients or whatever you want to call them. But a lot of clients really do need hands-on experience in overcoming anxiety around sexuality or technique or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things. And the beauty of it is that you don't have to deal with their head stuff because that's what the therapist's job is. You you have a pretty good timeline of what your results should be. Right. you know, not and is it on. true that there's a limited number of sessions you can have? No. Oh, because that I, was something she said in the movie that I was unfamiliar with. Exactly. Well, like we you know, can only and, meet 10 times Well, or that's something. it. And, you know, maybe that's something that the client's established with the therapist. Mm. You know, or, oh, it's not a California law thing. Well, see, that's the thing with surrogacy. You're flying kind of under the radar with it. Yeah, but around. it's accepted in California, uh, isn't it? Gray area. Really? Because technically the... Um, the therapist, excuse me, that recommends you doing it could be arrested for pandering. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, oh, I because it was accepted in California. It's, it's that gray area, oh, right. you know, and, and I, I actually work with clients in Massachusetts still because therapists know me right. and they know, they know my knowledge base and everything. So they recommend me and they're like, I have a client. Can you help them? Can you help me with You this seem person? like a really busy person. I love being this busy. Yeah. I no, do. I was surprised because you're so kind. Like, 
emailing me three, four or five times like, okay, what about Friday? What about oh, this day? What yeah. about that day? And I, and, but I had, you know, I'd Googled you and I, I saw who you were because when we met, you were like, ah, oh, yeah, I know Susie Bride. I know this. And honestly, I mean, I, I shouldn't admit this, but honestly, I was like, this woman might be full of shit, you know? Like, she's, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah, she's got this, she's got that. She knows everybody. I don't remember who else it was. Like there are three or four other names that came up and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, I know them. And... So I Googled you when I got home and I'm like, wow, she really <laughs> she has done all these things. Yeah, and it's, she's, it's pretty great. Yeah. I did, that's what I mean. That's the thing is that I just love to experience all this stuff. I mean, that's, you know, so I've done, you know, this call girl stuff, putting it in that box and then surrogacy stuff and things like this. And then um, another one uh, is professional dominatrix. And <laughs> friends that know me laugh their asses off because I'm really a funny person. Yeah. They're like, you as a pro dom? No way. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, no, 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 really, yeah. seriously. Yeah. And stuff. And it's out of actually the Dominion in LA, mm. which is on Venice Boulevard, just this nondescript house. You'd have no idea. Mm. It is like a pervert's playground. Really? Oh my God, I love it in there. And how that works is that it kind of, it's first of all, they're very, very adamant and very clear there's no sexual contact with the client right you that's know, something a lot of people don't understand about that world no two exactly. things they don't understand that that jump out every time i talk to someone who's familiar with it from from either perspective from the the worker's perspective mm-hmm. or the client's perspective one is uh that it's not sex that there's no sexual contact you know, the, there is sexual pleasure involved right. for the client right. in some level, but that's very amorphous and hard to define. It's but anyway, you're not having sex. There's not. It's not like you get a spanking and then you have sex with your your dominatrix. And the other thing is that it's a friend of mine just two days ago said told me that he for the first time in his life hired a dominatrix and had oh. this experience, and he said it was so. What was the word he used? He said it was um uh it it was it was like supportive and emotionally clean, I think is how he described it. In other words, it's not like pervy and weird and nasty and it's everything's really clear. Everything's discussed, like what the limits are, what your boundaries are. It's intimate in a strangely respectful way absolutely yeah absolutely. and that also too that's a good reflection on the top or the right. dom on that yeah. because i've seen some tops play and you're like whoa you know and right. stuff but that's the whole thing is and that's the whole i mean we could do hours of talking on that that's for sure um that's the whole thing that both uh, that's the parallel between doing call girl work and pro dom is first of all you're providing a service for an an hour, let's just say an hour. Right. Um, when you show up at somebody's doorstep, you don't know what's on their agenda. Mm. So you have to be thinking in nanoseconds, what's on this guy's agenda? What does he want to do? Does he want me to make the first move? Just, you know, does, are we going to, you know, and is it going to be blowjobs? It's going to be fucking, it's going to be hand jobs, or do they just want somebody to talk to? Right. So you don't step in the door and go, Hey, what do you want to do right now for the next hour? You got me for the next hour. What do you want? Right. You don't do that. You right. just kind of like have to figure it out. And then you just kind of, and, and that to me was the really incredible, amazing challenge of it. You know, here it is with a complete stranger. What's on this person's agenda? I mean, they don't come up and say, Oh, hi, I just want to talk to her an hour. You just realize 
when you're into it, like they're making no moves. You're across the kitchen table. It's like, oh, I guess they just want me to talk for an hour, you know, right. and things like this. So that was really cool. So the thing is when, you know, at this, let's say this Dom house, a client would walk in and it was in a, like a brothel in a way, even though, like I said, we don't do sex, but that's the closest thing I can relate it to is they'd say, Oh, I want to meet all the dominatrixes that you have in the house or all the submissives. Cause they would rent out submissives too. I mean, that's right. and switches. So they'd come in and say, Oh, I want to get this or I want to do this. Who's available. So then you kind of, go in you do a real brief inter you know thing and then you leave and then they decide who they want and they pay the receptionist and then they're they call you from the back and you then then you kind of go shopping in the wonderful store to get the equipment that you need for the session oh right oh yeah so that's that was the fun oh that place is so well appointed it's just i could <laughs> go nuts in there i love it i love it and there's different themed rooms like there was this guy totally nice looking guy and he wanted, he wanted to be a cigar slave, an ash slave, which is he gets off on women smoking cigars, strong women. Well, I happen to like cigars. Really? So here's the setup. It's a room. It's all painted black. There's, I think, like one side is a mirror, and there's a single light that comes down from the center that you can put on dimmer control. It's like an interrogation room. It's totally like, like interrogation. And here I am in my leathers and my nails red, and he brought cigars, and I'm just smoking a cigar, and he's on his knees with his hands open for the ashes. Wow. And it was just like, and it was like doing one of these really smooth pulls of a cigar and just letting it linger and the in light, coming down, the light yeah. coming down oh, i got off great. on this because yeah. it was so hot wow. and it was a session and i had no idea that this is what what this guy wanted hmm. you know and then he started telling me and i'm like lucky for you i smoke cigars and it was so hot i mean we were both high afterwards and to me that's that it's why i do this is i hmm. i i I, I get such satisfaction. I don't want to say necessarily I get off because so many people think, oh, off is like, ah, ah, like right. that. But I get so much satisfaction getting pleasure out of what I'm doing. Right. So that was a beautiful instance. And then another one, it's funny, during the interview, it's pro-dom. I said, you know, I'm not going to do a humiliation scene. I don't like talking to people like that. I just, I got, so I'm not going to be doing that. So what happened was that somebody was in the room and one of the gals came back and my name, I go, is Miss Kim because a lot of people know my name and I don't want to hide it and stuff. And so it's Miss Kim is a good place of respect. So I like that name. So she comes up, she goes, Miss Kim, the guy in the front, he goes, he wants somebody to be really mean to him and he doesn't think I can be mean enough. He really wants somebody to get in his face. I'm like, okay. So then I walk out there and of course, you know, you do your queenly walk in there. And so I sit down next to him and he says the typical story, he goes, I have a very powerful job during the day and I have to manage a lot of people and, you know, and, and I just want to have a release of just being, you know, made to feel like shit. And, and you could, and I could just tell what he wanted to say. And I leaned up in front of him and I said, you really want me to get in your face, don't you? Which is the phrase that he used. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I can do that. So I, and he's like, okay, so then I got hired for this. So anyway, it was the same black room, you know, and stuff. And so what happens there is that we hang out in a room until we need the room. 
and then you go into one of the other rooms, you know, and stuff. So I had to, so I, I was like, we're going to session in that room. So the gals went in the room right next door. So no equipment or anything. He just wanted humiliation. So you always happen to like have some rope and stuff because you can always crack that out. So I talked to him. I said, okay, how's your body? Just checking in. So I knew that he wanted this, right? I'd never done it in my whole freaking life, mm. right? I like, how's your body? He's like, my shoulder's a little sore. I'm like, okay. I said, that's a, you know, he's like, okay. So anyway, I just started moving in and just got in his face telling him what a total waste of time it was to be with him and that he was so worthless and stuff. And I want him to get on that floor right now. Well, I knew his shoulder was sore, so I put a towel under his shoulder, like rolled up towel, so it supported. And I just got in his face. And then one of the women there had said, oh, always tie up their dick and balls with rope. And then you put the ball, you put the rope in their mouth and you tell them to pull it. So that always works with submissive men. I'm like, oh, so I did that, you know, tied it and I put it in his mouth and just was getting into his face. I'm like, pull that rope and stuff. So he's pulling his rope. Now, usually they've been so erotically charged. They had got a pretty good boner at this point. Nothing was happening. No boner or anything. So I said, why isn't your dick hard? And he says, it can't. So my brain goes into sex educator mode and thinking, oh my God, has he had prostate surgery? Does he have high blood pressure? You know, was it an injury or things like this? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is a top dom humiliation seat. Right. So I got in his face and said, "Figures your cock can't get hard. You are such a loser." Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what he wanted. So I got into it. You know, your watch is your most favorite friend when you're turning tricks and stuff. So. I'm looking, there's like five minutes to go in the session. And then I just was in his face. And the thing is, anybody who's done SM play will know this, is especially with somebody Smith, they get that look of fear and they fear you and you know you have them mm. and you're just like, you just terrorize them. And that's what you're supposed to do, right. whether it's physical he or had mental. a safe or something. word or something. And, well, that's when they get past that point. But yeah, we did have a safe word, right. you know, red, yellow, green. It's really right. easy to remember right. and stuff. It was fine and stuff. So the thing is, is that they go and, and so now this guy couldn't jerk off and shoot off that way because mm. he didn't, uh, but mentally, I brought him there and stuff. Right. So then, you know, I just kind of calm him down and say, you know, we've got to return to the real world now. Like this. So I help him up because his shoulder and stuff. And he gets up and he looks at me and goes, that was amazing. I'm like, it was great. <laughs> so then, you know, thanks a lot. Bye. So in my mind, I'm thinking, damn, I did that. And the thing was, is that he had given me permission to do it. Right. And that's what made it okay with me. Right. And then afterwards, the girls streamed back into the room. They're like, that was really hot. I said, pretty good for my first time doing that. They could hear you? They or? could hear, yeah. Oh, so wow. stuff. But I mean, enough that, like, so I said, yeah, not bad for the first time. They were like, you're kidding. I said, no, I mean, this so is. So you're a natural. Well, I mean, I got the permission to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. And, well, yeah, kind of a natural because I'm real comfortable with all sorts of stuff. Even, you know, like you say, trying for the first time. Yeah. You know? Is it an intellectual thing for you? It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and that's, that's a fun part of it. Right. Because that's, you know, I think that's the biggest turn on is men that send me responses with no typos. 
Because <laughs> I play the personal ads too, you know. Right. Yeah, and it's like right. if you've got typos, Good dude, grammar. delete. Yeah, you know. But yeah. if you don't have typos, I'm like, oh, okay, this works. Yeah. So then I go further with that. So yeah. Use the spell check. Use the spell check. Yes, advice, advice to the lovelorn. Learn spell check. Some people don't give a shit about it, but for me, it's very important. Just yeah. like some people don't care if you're blonde or redhead, but. To me, that's the secondary thing. If you're smart, then yeah. yeah. Right. But then there's the junk sex thing, which is, you know, yeah, hey, sure, let's get together. So I don't even want to know your name. Okay, bye. Oh, you right. You know, right. which I found, I found that happens. I do that less yeah. because um, I think, I don't, I don't know why that is, but every once in a while I do that, but I do that. I find myself doing that less. So mm. whatever. Go figure. I've got a good one for you. What's that? Okay, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, right? Of course. I know, I can't help it. So they were playing the Yankees, five mm, games. Right. I forget what year this was. So five games. I had not been to Fenway Park that year. So I'm like, how am I going to get to Fenway for the Yankees? You know, tickets are like 300 bucks because there's scalpers and everything like this. I'm like, I know what I'll do. So I put on Craigslist. We'll trade sex for Red Sox Yankees tickets. <laughs> First line. We all know the Yankees suck, but good news for you. So do I. <laughs> so I get I get the email. I get an email back and said, I can get you tickets for these and other games, but you can't say who you got the tickets from. Right. Rule number one on the internet, never use your first and last name. Because right. then you Google that shit. And then you find out, it's the bullpen catcher. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I forget. I was like in my mid-40s and he was like 24. Wow. Wow. Uh-huh. So I got tickets for two of the games. Wow. So that was good. Good for you. That was good. Um, another email I got was um, a guy that was going to come in town for business and, and stuff, and he wasn't a Red Sox fan. And he like, so, uh, so I met him at hotel, and we go up to the room, and he puts the TV on, and we get talking. And I said, where are you from? He said, New Jersey. I said, oh, yeah, what exit? Because that's yeah. when you're from New Jersey. And he says, there's really no exit near me. And I'm like, so where? And he's Flemington. That's where I was born. My dad had a business there 14 years. So I'm like, Flemington, you're shit. I'd say, you know, so we talked all about Flemington and stuff like this. So we sit down on the bed. And I'm looking at the TV. Okay. I have a one hour HBO feature about the amateur porno film festival that I founded. I look at the TV. <laughs> it starts you? coming on. Really? I'm like, what are the fucking odds of that? How come I can't win the lottery? Yeah. And I look and I cover my mouth and I point at the TV and he looks, he goes, oh my God, that's you. I'm like, yeah, I know. It was wow. like, shit, totally outed on that one. Wow. So, yeah. Double outed. Totally. Yeah. So we had a good time. And these two guys, I'm still friends with them. We still email every once in a while. That's hey, how's great. it going? Right. You know, Christmas so, cards. Yeah, just about, you know, <laughs> and stuff. So, so that was pretty cool. And then this other guy after gets in touch with me, he's like, well, I can't give you tickets for these, but I have some other games and stuff. So I ended up fucking him to see the Kansas City Royals. Hmm. I'm thinking, dude, you should have been a hand job with spit. <laughs> Someone else's spit. I'm like, man, I fucking put out for the Yankees for Kansas City. Uh, no, 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 no. Here's what here's a jackpack for you, pal. So yeah, and I had to like be his date for the game too. That was like awful. Uh, but you know, wow. I saw baseball and I saw the Red Sox in Fenway Park. So what can I say? So yeah. yeah. So that's you know, it's 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 a commodity. That's one thing I did learn. Right. When you're a call girl, you, you recognize the value of it. Sure. And I don't give that shit away unless I feel like it. So I mean, as in like on a date or something. Right. 
You know, it's funny. I came up with one the other night. You know, once they find out you're in the sex business and everything like this, you know, guys, they just want to talk, you know, like this. And it's like, yeah, okay, I know, but there's a lot more there. And so, so this one guy, and so, of course, he wanted to get together after. And we're going out, and I felt like nothing towards him. And then it's always difficult. You know, how do you say that to somebody? Yeah, sure. And I came up with a line that I'm like, I'm freaking using this line all the time. I said, now's that awkward moment. And that was the perfect line to break the ice of, you know, all I had to say was, announce that awkward moment. And he totally got it. Like that, how do I say goodbye and say bye, you know, that type of thing. So I might use that line again if I need it. It was good. Because that's always a tricky one. You know, how do you say, you know what, there's really kind of nothing there. The thing is, uh... I I think it would be great if men received more education on how to recognize when there's nothing there so that that awkward moment doesn't even have to happen because I think they can often get into a downward spiral, right? Where on some level, the guy knows there's nothing there, but he doesn't care. He's trying to, you know, he's in denial over that fact. And so then you force the woman to say it which is a blow to the ego, which then makes the denial more intense, you know? I think so. You know, and I, like it's been a few times the guy says, oh, do you want to get together again? You know, and I, I don't know if that's so much saying that that well, way. It's, or, that's, I mean, that's more, I think that's better than like going for a kiss or something exactly. or, or grab, you know, you know, put his arm around you, whatever exactly. the move is physically right. that's as opposed to communicative. But I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but my sense is that women, I know there is research that shows that women are much better at um, assessing whether or not someone's uh, attracted to them, you know, than men are. Uh-huh. Men tend to wildly overestimate uh, women's flirtatiousness or whatever, you know, like if a woman's halfway friendly, they think like she wants to go to right. bed with them, you know. Right, right. Um, and I guess and probably just because women grow up sort of fielding that sort of stuff much more often than most men do, they get a lot better at assessing what's that what's going sure on. Sure, could be. You know, yeah. it's funny because what you were saying about these assumptions and things, um, my store, or just kind of in general, um, a lot of people think that if you work in a sex toy store, that you want to have sex with your customers yeah. because you're in a sex toy. Why else would right. you be here? Right. You know, And it's really funny because I don't think that happens so much with men that work in sex toy stores. Like they want to have all the girls fun. Yeah. I don't think that's so much of an issue, but a woman that works in one and I actually have a real personal boundary is I don't have sex with customers. Right. You know why? Because the customer always comes first. Oh, no. <laughs> I told that one to my dad. He was like, that's a real good one, Kim. <laughs> I love my job. Uh, I actually do a whole show. Uh-huh. I'll be back on Saturday. Yeah, I do a stand-up. It's, I call it pervert stand-up comedy. It's um, like Tony and Tina's wedding, you know, that people... No, Tony and Tina's wedding, what it is is that you're, the audience is... Par- is are guests at an Italian wedding. Uh-huh. So you're part of it. And there's a reception. So it's dinner theater. Oh, I see. But there's the characters that intermingle with you. And it's all uh, improv and right. things like that. So I do that with a home toy party. Come A home toy party. So it's Kim Ayer's home sex toy party. 
And it's a theater piece. Oh, right. And it's, there's a ton of education in it. And I actually sell the toys, too, from grandopening.com. So it's, it's a lot of fun, and it's improv, and it's a lot of information. Did you broadcast it? No, no. I wanted, it's a theater piece. So, right. yeah, I actually have to, have to like, go and do, film it and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's great fun because it's, it's, different. it's different than a home party company presentation if anybody as and i'm sure tons of people that are listening to this have been to home parties home sex reports they only go so far like you will never hear about fisting in a home toy party company you'll you know you're starting to hear about strap-ons but you know you'll never hear about the hardcore stuff hmm. my show kind of goes all the you way you go there huh? yeah yeah which is great fun so i wanted there there's some things i wanted to to consult you about yeah, as an expert in, sure. in sort of sexual technology and that. Because I, I did a podcast the other night uh, with Daniele Bolelli. I did his podcast called The Drunken Taoist. He's, a, he's an interesting guy. He's a historian and a martial arts expert and just sort of a you know free thinking. Anyway, we got onto the topic of sex dolls. And he's really excited about sex dolls. He thinks that this is going to be a great leap forward for humanity and it's going to make life, quality of life better for everyone, Um, you know, because it will remove that awkward moment that you're talking about. It, it, uh, you know, takes that out of the equation and, um, you know, it's a matter of perspective. But, uh, I mean, I think we're going there for sure. We're, you know, the it seems we're on the cusp of this whole virtual reality um oh yeah you know leap in fact an hour ago before you i was downstairs uh getting ready for you to come and uh someone sent me a link to a video it's a music video i can't remember what it's called right now but it's this kid uh who's masturbating and then all these virtual women appear in the video and it's really wild. I mean, you like go your the camera angle sort of circles around inside the woman's head and you see him through her eyes, you know, and then the you know, there's this huge woman and he's like, you know, he could like crawl into her vagina and you know, there's this whole bizarre thing going on, you know. And we're like one step away from being that kid, I think. Last night I was I was on a uh, at a taping of a thing called Harmontown. Do you know who Dan Harmon is? He created a show called Community. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. And he, yep. So he does this thing, a live taping of uh, his podcast where he's a friend of mine was one of the guests. And he was talking about there's this thing, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a, it's a very new thing. It's a screen that straps to your face. Yeah, virtual. Virtual, right. and but it's all like very complex. So it, 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 um, has a movement monitoring devices. So you turn your head. And so you're, he said he was in a house in Tuscany and like you look around, you move your head and the the view changes. You look down, you see the floor, you look up, you see the ceiling, you step outside, it's the sky. You walk over, there's a railing, you see the, the, the Mediterranean. You, so it's like this, you're immersed. And he said within like 30 seconds, you are there. It's and he said it's still low resolution. There's it still doesn't have like um, uh, depth of field. Well, no, it has depth of field, but it doesn't have the um, uh, what's what, what did he call it? Uh, sensors of uh, how close you are to something. 
You know what I mean? So the wall's there. You walk toward the wall and you move your head in and the wall should get a little closer, but it doesn't because you haven't taken steps or something. So it's, uh, you know, there's tweaks, but he said, even with all these imperfections, it's amazing. So we're going there, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever heard of a book called The Erotic Engine. No, You, you might enjoy that book. It's the the author argues that every advance in communication technology has been fueled by lust because the money has come from the people who wanted to see the naked pictures that's photography then you've got video you've got you know film first then you've got video then you've got you know dvds then you've got internet like every step most of the initial money capital came right. from porn essentially right you know even like online sales the technology for processing credit cards right. and protecting oh, yeah. that information all that stuff the first users are always in sex yeah yeah so anyway my question is like where where do you think it's going you know what, what are your thoughts on that i mean we're you know a hitachi magic wand probably provokes is a more reliable orgasm provoker than any man who's ever lived it depends on if you like it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is I had tons of women come into grand opening. I want a Hitachi because I've never had an orgasm before. Right. It's like, oh, actually, there's a lot more to it than just putting something on your clit. You know, right. how relaxed are you? What's your relationship sure. with your body? Right. What's, you know, it's, I mean, there's so much more to that. So it's nothing. I, I don't think anything guarantees orgasm at all for women. Mm. I'm just going to talk about women. Right. Um, because men, it's so much easier. And I mean, technically, I really think that's true. Yeah. And anybody will say that too. So nothing guarantees orgasm um, except for being comfortable with having one. Right. That's because, one of the things. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you. That That's something that comes up a lot in in my discussions with people of research. You know, and you read this research, 40% of women never have orgasms or rarely have orgasms or whatever it is. That's American women. That's American college age women. That's not women. Right. You know? Right. And it's and as you say, so much of it is cultural. So much of it is your attitude, you know, what wh- how you feel about your body, what kind of shame you're dealing with and all that. That's so cultural. Absolutely. And the thing is, is that so many women and so many of the classes that I've done, because I teach a lot of classes, is first of all, say yes. And don't be afraid of going there because I know so many women that they'll almost get to the point and then they'll stop. And this, I hear this so much They're, um, they say, uh, I don't orgasm or something. I, and I forget what's the first line that I start with, but they say this, I'm afraid of letting go. Right. Sure. That's huge. And I go, letting go of what? They're like, Control. Control. Yeah. Exactly. They'll say control and say, go, control of what? I like staying in control. Yeah, but why do you feel you have to be in control? So first of all, if you're by yourself, there's nobody there to control you. Right. Second, if you're with a partner, if you're in with a partner that you trust, losing control is fine. You know what it is? And I, this is what I hear when I keep drilling down. I'll feel vulnerable. Right. So there's something wrong with that? 
right. know, if you feel like you're in a safe environment, you know, just like all these other factors, it's like, let yourself go there. And so many women, I mean, even a woman in the sex toy industry, one time she says, you know, my boyfriend and I were watching porno and she's like, totally doesn't, you know, not it, so many people in this industry, I swear don't get laid. But anyway, um, don't get me started on that. So anyway, so she goes, there was one night and we had, she actually had a bottle, which isn't the best thing to fuck. But anyway, but she, so, and she said, I just looked at that and I looked at him and I said, I want you to shove that in my pussy. And she goes, we had the most amazing sex. She goes, I totally lost it. I don't know where, I, she goes, it was amazing. I said, right. Cause you, you let yourself go. Right. I said, you can do that again, you know. Right. And I said, you know, don't make it a project, but allow yourself to do that. You know, and this is the whole thing is the whole sex thing. It's very sensual. Like, I love that term sensual. I mean, here we are in this beautiful place that smells good. Use your nose. Mm. Use flowers. Use right. whatever just to get there and let yourself go there and enjoy it and pl- and just soak it in and stuff. And that's what I say to women. You're never going to have one if you're going to try to have to have one. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. If you try, it's, it's, it's not, too much of an effort. It's you know? a different kind. I mean, there. Are, this is something Kisilda and I talk about a lot because she's a very type A personality, you know, medical doctor, med school, bum, you know, work, yeah. work, 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 work. And I'm much more... Uh, you know, it's like it's like I think about predators, you know, like uh, a wolf, mm-hmm. you know, if a wolf want, is hunting, it's run, 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 run till you catch it. Then you've got a leopard. That's me. I'm the leopard. I just I'm in the tree waiting for something to walk under and then I'll leap, you know. So a lot of my approach to dealing with an issue is wait, don't make a move. Wait, you know. Check it out. Think about it. There's a, I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's an active approach to things and an, another approach that's not passive because it's focused and it's, but right. it's not, it's not about effort or it's a different sort of effort. It's an internal effort or a silent effort or something. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say in, in this orgasm thing. It's like, you know, if, if someone makes it a project, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to make it less of a project. Right. You know, it's like guys who can't get a, you know, who have, um, uh, well, they, they don't get a heart on. Right? right. Now, not somebody who's got a serious medical condition, right. but someone, you know, one time, whatever it does, whatever. the more uptight you get about that, the more oh, of a problem yeah. you have. Right. So exactly. the absolute best thing you can do in this case is forget Let it. Let go of it. Exactly. Right. Let go of exactly. it. It's not an issue. You make it an issue. It becomes an issue. It's totally, yeah. it's so simple, you know? I mean, that's yeah. what I say. It's really, it's really easy to get there and stuff. Well, it's, but I think for a lot of people, it's really hard to get there because really they hard. think they have to work right. to get there. Right, exactly. They don't understand that there are some places you get by not working. Right. right. You know, by not trying. <sighs> Yeah. And that that's it's, more difficult in some ways. It's more difficult and it puts pressure on and all stuff like this. It's really something. I yeah. mean, it's just the whole sex thing is just, I just, I, I'm crazy about it. Well, are you crazy about it because, like earlier you said that you really enjoy um, something, doing something that is um, pleasurable, that there's a, a component of pleasure. 
But also, you're you're obviously a very intellectual person, and you are, um, if I can, if you allow me to define you these ways, I think it. you're you're a bit of a revolutionary. Yeah. And you don't like being told what to do or what to feel or so on. So I, I was on, I was talking to my friend Duncan Trussell recently on his podcast and he said, you, he describing me, he said, you're a shame exorcist. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. I really like that title, yeah. you know, and I, I sense that in you yeah, as absolutely. well. Like you, you are disgusted by shame and, and your, your well, mission in some ways is to expose how right. destructive and false shame right. is. Right, and that's what one of my phrases is, I care what you think about, but I don't care what you think about me. Interesting, yeah. Because I, I, I'm really interested in what people have to say and think. Right. You know, but, you know, you call me whore, call me whatever. Yeah, that's your stuff. That's because right. you're uncomfortable with me being right. out with who I as who I am. Right. So that's your stuff. I'm happy. I'm happy. Right. I'm I'm really happy, you know. It's just yeah. and and stuff. So so that's not my stuff. That's your stuff, you right. know. And that's the thing. And the whole thing with shame, it's like, God, you know. No, I fart in public if I have to fart, you know. And it's like, hey, hi, Good thing how we're, you doing? We're out on the porch. You know, that's why I have a dog, actually. So <laughs> so yeah, but it's I mean that's the whole thing, and you know, and just it's I just go I. Have you always been like this or yeah, have you liberated have yourself I've at some point? Been like this. Right. So your parents probably weren't they that totally surprised no, by no, the no, path you've no. taken. No, no, not at all. <laughs> are, are your siblings like that too? Are they No, no, they're all, everybody's pretty straight. Oh, know, really? Family, yeah. Oh. It was funny it's just thinking of parents and stuff. Um one time uh in I guess 95 about I got asked to be the co-host for a television show on cable in Boston Pride Time Television so I'm telling my parents I go mom dad I got I'm going to be um co-host of Pride Time Television it's a program for gay lesbian bisexual community of Boston like totally not thinking about what I just told them. Right. So my mother, who's actually French, um, she's a war bride and everything. She slaps my upper arm. She goes, "Are you gay?" And I look at her like, "What?" You know. And then she goes, "Are you lesbian?" And I looked and I thought, "Oh, jeez, I just realized what I said." You know. And I thought, "Please God, give me another option." So she slaps <laughs> her shoulder. She goes, "Are you bi?" Without missing a beat, I looked at her and I said, "You know, Mom, it depends on who I'm with." Uh huh. And it was like, how about them Red Sox? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like totally t- not that totally. They, yeah. They, you know, so you, you don't you don't identify yourself with any particularly label. Um, I don't actually, yeah. because that's another thing. I think the pigeonholing pigeonholing of putting a label on somebody is to make that person comfortable to mm. make. Right. So if I say you're gay, I'm saying that because now I'm comfortable knowing that you're gay. I've yeah. Right. I've checked that box. Yeah. Right. Right. So so when you can't, I say I'm too gay to be straight and too straight to be gay, you know, and stuff, and and to just like to be in that arena and not give a shit what anybody thinks is great. Yeah. Is great. You know. I mean, just because it really throws them off. I also I I don't, I don't know if you know this. What. I do male drag. <laughs> what do you not do? Yeah, well, what what I you totally, do male drag? Yeah, I totally really? Do you, what's your what's your name? Leo De Janeiro. <laughs> Leo. Leo De Janeiro. He's from the Leo Italian North End of Boston. When my baby. Oh, he's not Brazilian. No, huh? no. When my baby smiles at me, I turn into Leo. 
Janeiro. <laughs> so he's really, he lives in, in Italian Boston, North oh, End. And what I tell people, I'm like, when I'm Leo, I have no responsibility of what I say because it's somebody else coming right. out there. I've totally passed as Leo. Do you, uh, have you ever met Dan Savage? Uh, no, not yet, but we know each other. You know, he... We've been in touch. He does... I guess he used to do drag a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, and his drag name was uh, Helvetica Bold. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. But then I also do a drag queen. Oh, I do really? a big-ass drag queen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I found out I could do it after I was coming back from laryngitis. That's, that's complicated. It's totally complicated. It's yeah. totally mind-fucking. But you know what it is. What I say is this. I say, where is that fine line between mental illness and performance art? <laughs> You're looking at it. <laughs> Existe pas. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I come back with laryngitis, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a gigantic big ass drag queen in me so I, you know every drag queen's gotta have a perfect name so uh, my perfect name okay Fontina is my F -O name F-O-N apostrophe capital T-I-N-A and my last name Fromage uh, isn't that fabulous Fontina. so she's a smoker and she's from Worcester and she sings all the girls feelings something more than feelings Somewhere over the rainbow. So I do Fontina, but I've got to characterize her. I haven't done her in real person yet. So I'm going to show you. Wow. A picture. Are there are there other women who do drag queens? There's not a whole lot. Because that's and really getting meta, isn't it? It's totally. Yeah. And that's what's so much fun about it is because it's like really gender fucking, which I love to do. Double and fucking. It's, it's like a big, big time, big time. DP gender yeah, fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which we love, which we love. And this is the thing when I go as Leo, um, uh, people don't recognize me. <laughs> so, and, and this is the thing, doing drag. <laughs> Is, I'm sorry. People can't see. This is, you know, it's the equivalent of radio. I'm looking at a picture of... The skeezy Italian I guy. mean, looks like Elliot Gould's, like, skeezy, looks, very skeezy, skeezy. brother yeah. with a big black mustache, black chest hair, yeah. an afro... Oh, man. A mustache. Five o'clock shadow. That's really important. You know what? Can... You know, in in the podcast, I'm setting up a new web page so that in each podcast there's a photo of the oh, person I'm talking to. Yeah, maybe we could use that. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Or you can yeah. give. I took no. a picture of you earlier in your in your leathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was going to use, but um, yeah. maybe people uh, would. Uh, yeah, because they, this is the whole thing: is that a lot of butch women do drag. It's like, you know Andy Kaufman's thing? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He um, looks kind of like Tony, yeah, um, oh, Tony Clifton, Tony Clifton. A lot of people have said that. Yeah. Oh, wait, okay, this is an even better one. <laughs> so at Halloween, like where I was working, Vegas. okay, so I'm clever. I, I like wearing that's, that crown. That's, yeah. So they have Halloween contest, that a dress-up contest. Uh, so this department was four of us. So it was two females. This is where at Harvard. No, this is where I worked recently. Oh, okay. So um, there were four of us, two women, two guys. So I said, I want to do drag for Halloween because the place, a lot of gay people work there and stuff. And like, I just wanted to fuck with them and right. show them that I could do drag. Right. So I thought, okay, so what four characters... Three guys. What could we do? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I know. I know. I know. So many people are gay there, like gay guys and stuff like this. I know. We'll go. It's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. <laughs> 
so he went as Goldilocks and three leather oh, bears. Man. So the three guys, because I went in drag, we dressed in leather. Yeah. Bear gig. And I got to do you've drag. Got, you've got stick on underarm hair. I do. I invented yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a plastic recycling that. bag that I put rubber cement on. Oh. And then I have a black curly wig that I keep trimming pieces in oh. the hair off. And oh. so I stick that. And then, no, under my armpits, I put on spirit gum, which <laughs> may as well be rubber cement. And so I stick that on under oh. hair. So that's Leo De Janeiro. And boy, did that mess with people at work, let me tell you. Yeah, sorry. And I actually did Leo (laughs) for my parents. Really? I said, Mom, Dad, you want to see what I'm doing for I've been doing it since 95. Wow, you and Leo go way back. Yeah, we go way back. So, uh... So I'm like, Mom, Dad, you want to see what I'm doing for fun? And they both roll their eyes. And I go upstairs and I come back as Leo. I don't think I ever heard them laugh as hard <laughs> in my whole life. They were crying. They were laughing. So my, my mom's like, what happened to my daughter? What did you do with my daughter? And she goes, do you have on a dick? Don't show me. What does it look like? <laughs> What a trip. So, yeah, so I've always kept them guessing and just that's like I was in a bear bar. I've only been in one bear bar in my life and Dan Savage took me there. Oh, great. Yeah. In New York. It was Dan Savage. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably the Eagle. Uh, they're all called the Eagle. Are they? I don't know. It was. It was on. Whenever you see in a the bar, West Village. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you see a bar, and it's called the Eagle. It's the gay bar. That's that's it. That's it in every city. In San Francisco, I remember one called the White Swallow, on uh, Market. Where did they, what? I don't get it. Yeah, it had a picture of a bird. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. yeah. Just yeah. to throw that's off the yeah. readers. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So wow. it's fun stuff. So yeah, so I've done like so tons of shit. There's another thing I haven't showed you. I'm going to strip out of my top button of my shirt. Don't be alarmed. Don't All right. worry. My yep. pal Raylan Galena, Kim, who's Kim done the body mod. Kim is stripping down here. On, I'm about I'm to see a tattoo, you. I think. No. no. Oh, a scar. Oh. Exactly. Oh, Scarification. Scar. Wow. Right. So that's you don't see that are. every day. No, no. When I wear a tank top, they're like, oh, is that laser tattoo removal gone bad? And I'm like, no, actually, no. It's something else. Something gone bad. So, good. yeah, Raylan Galena did that one. So wow. that's a fun one. Wow. And then I I don't think we talked about, you know, the whole motorcycle thing. I drive a motorcycle. Yeah. It's all painted with sex toys. No, they're all Hondas. Oh, they're Hondas. Yeah, oh, I, like, I like having them on the road instead it's of in the shop. It's sort of a chopper. It's a... Yeah, yeah, it's a Honda Shadow. That's a Honda Shadow All Eros. Shadow, right. I mean, that's a um, Ace. Honda Shadow Ace 99, 750. Liquid I like cooled. my 750s. Yeah, and I like It's a good size, too. not too big, not too small. Yeah. And so the Big Vibe Motorcycle, which actually has its own Facebook page because so many people take pictures. That's right. I saw that when yeah, I Googled you. Exactly. Yeah, it's got dildos so, stuck on yeah, it and stuff. It's all, it was hand-painted. My friend Robin painted it. So on the... Uh, the right side when you're riding there's a rabbit pearl on the tank so I'll be at a light and people are like is that the rat you know and I'm like yeah I always get this they go but you look so normal Uh god you know what I met Peter Gabriel a couple weeks ago when I was at TED and we were chatting because they're taking a group picture and we were next to each other and we were chatting for a while we had a we actually have a, a a friend in common, a guy oh. he went to high school with, I, I met in Spain. Anyway, we were talking about that. And after a while, I, I said to him, I said, man, I, I just have to say, you seem, you seem really normal for someone who's been in the public eye for so long. And I meant it as such a com- I meant it as a compliment, like you've held your shit together, you know? 
but I could see in his eyes that he was kind of disappointed that I said he was normal. <laughs> you know, he's like, what do I have to do to not be normal? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, right. Right. It's a funny thing. It, but it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort you know, of so egolessness for someone who stands in front of 30,000 screaming people regularly. Yeah. You know, that's a fucking accomplishment. It is to be. Well, define normal, but to be a regular person. Well, to be able to just chat with me about some guy he went to high school with, you know, without like like rolling his eyes. No, no. And see, see, that's the thing. When I meet someone who's very famous, which doesn't Uh happen happen that often, but when I do or or super rich or super beautiful or super whatever – my feeling is like, well, who cares? You know, right. I'm not reacting to that. I'm right. I'm reacting to whatever you're showing me about yourself. And what he was showing me about himself was, hey, he's just a regular nice guy. Exactly. And and that's fucking beautiful. Right. You know, just like if you meet a supermodel who doesn't act like a fucking supermodel. Right. You know, like that's a beautiful thing. Exactly. Uh, I mean, more beautiful than her, you know, then, whatever. Exactly. And that's what, you know, because... You know, with Harvard and a whole bunch of other things. Right. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Great fan. And hey, how about them Red Sox? You know, right. I mean, that right. type of thing. Is it? I like to acknowledge it a little bit, but just kind of right. in passing almost. Well, and I, I assume that if they're cool people, they, they've they heard all that shit so many times, exactly. they don't want to hear it again, oh, you know? That's Because sure. it, it has no meaning. Right. And if they do want to hear it again, then they're not cool people. And I don't right. want to bother with them anyhow, right. you right. know? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. What Do you have any other questions? <laughs> I mean, gosh. You well, you're you're so on, guarded. On. I mean, it's it's really hard to get you to talk about things. I'm so you're... I don't like t- telling people what I've done. Yeah, I'm yeah, so yeah. Um, no, no, but I think we're well. We've we've gone way over worn the out the batteries. Oh, oh an... I have to be careful. Oh, actually, I do have to be careful about that because if the battery dies, we lose everything. We flatline. Yeah. Oh, we don't so, want to do that. So let me Speaking thank batteries, you very quickly. Yeah. I used to work for Duracell in the technical library. Really? Yeah. Technical research <laughs> library. And for seven years, I was a commercial artist and I designed logos and lettering for shoe insoles. Before computers, <laughs> I kid you not. I don't. I, I used don't to drive to inside hi, inboard hydroplane. I mean, just it goes on and on. There's many more podcasts left in the universe. There are. You know, what? let me stop this so I don't lose it. Uh, we'll be right back. I'll try. All right, I'm back with Kim. I uh, just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to lose an hour and a half of fascinating conversation. Because I don't want to lose it with you. <laughs> don't lose control, whatever you do. Right. Uh, do you have a website or something where people sure. can... Uh, yeah, quite a few. I've got grandopening.com. That's so that's your, the And you place. do mail order as yeah. well. Yeah, and, it's and, great. It's an affiliate site, so there's thousands and thousands and thousands of products. It's great. Uh-huh. And I also have kimairs.com, which is blogging and things like that blog, and everything. Right. And there's the Facebook fan page for Kim Ayers and Grand Opening also and the Big Vibe Motorcycle. And right, yeah, Google Twitter that at shit. Kim Ayers. That's an easy one. So right. that and... Did I leave anything out? Very cool. I, I don't know. think so. But this has been great. It's the beauty of the internet. Even if you did, people can find it. I know. Yeah, there's plenty, know. Of, plenty of leads there. That's for what it. I say. All right. Well, listen, thank you for, for doing this. Well, I thank mean, you. And, this lovely uh, day. My last week in Los Angeles, you were kind enough even to come to my place. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all downhill on the motorcycle, so it should be fine. Yeah. It's, it's a nice ride up here in Yeah, Topanga. it is. It is. It's a, a good, fun challenge. I loved it. Yeah. It's great. It's wonderful. Cool. Well, thanks thank for coming. Thank you so much. You bet. 
Smoke alarms will dance into the ground. 